This morning we want to look at James chapter 2. We want to look at what James has to say about how to treat people right. You're my biggest problems. Are people problems? Without a doubt. Just getting along with other people. To dwell above with those we love, you know that will be glory. But to dwell below with those we know, that's another story. James talks about how to get along with other people. So he gives us a principle, a problem, and a prescription. Look at James 2, verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. So James helps us to see three P's for getting along with people. Number one, the first P in your notes, the principle. Look at James 2, verse 1. My brothers, as believers in our gracious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Now let me give you a hint about James. Whenever James starts a sentence by my brothers, he's getting ready to nail you. Count on it. He's going to stick you. He says, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. What is favoritism? The Greek word prosopolasios. The word favoritism means in your notes prejudice or partiality. The New English Bible calls it snobbery. Don't be a snob. You know what a snob is. A snob is somebody whose nose turns up, their eyes look down. Somebody who always thinks they're better than anybody else. The Good News Version says, don't treat anybody in a different way according to their outward appearance. That's a very common social disease. So let's look at four common areas of discrimination. In your notes, number one, one area is appearance. We often discriminate because of appearance. There's no doubt about it. Beauty. Beauty is everything in our world. If you're a cute kid, you got it made. If you're plain Jane, tough luck. Beauty is everything. We judge people on their appearance, how they look, how they dress. Heard about an experiment with hitchhikers. They dressed them up in different ways. And the dressier the person was, the more likely to be picked up. So how you dress definitely affects how you relate to people. So how do you judge people? Do you judge people immediately by how they look? Do they have long hair and a beard? Do you walk up and say, Jesus saves, but shave? Do you judge others that way? We Christians are going to get caught up with dress success and dress to be cool. We become concerned with what is in and what is out, or what is hot and what is not. Secondly, and you notice number two, we discriminate with ancestry. We judge people by their race, their nationality, their ethnic background, their ancestry. Heard of a black man who went to a church in the South. He was trying to get in. It was full of a bunch of Archie Bunkers. I saw that in the History Channel. He appeared to the pastor. The pastor just told him, you just need to pray about it. Well, three weeks later, the pastor saw the man again and asked, if you talk to the Lord about it, he said, yes. God says, don't worry. I've been trying to get into that church for 20 years. Still haven't got in. Ancestry. I firmly believe that God is, however, colorblind. Red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. We discriminate because of appearance, because of ancestry, 
Number three in your notes of achievement. Our society gushes over winners, over achievements. We forget the losers. One minute you're a hero, the next you're zero. Success and status are key words. Even Christianity has its own superstars. Most of them are on TV. They want special treatment. At least we give it to them. And James says, don't ask for special treatment. This one child will go to school and say, I'm, I'm Curtis, the pastor's son. Then his mother said, don't say it that way. Just say, I'm Curtis. The next day somebody asked, are you the pastor's son? He said, I used to think I was, but my mom says I'm not. We discriminate with appearance, ancestry, achievement. Number four, most of all, we judge people in your notes by affluence. We judge people by their wealth, by whether they're rich or poor, by their affluence. What attitude do you have towards those people who make more money than you do? Or what attitude do you have towards those people who make less money than you do? And that's an area that James picks out that we can discriminate in. He talks about economic distinctions. So he says, look at James 2, verse 2 and 4. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but to the poor man, stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and judge, become a judge with evil thoughts? This could be entitled the case of a nearsighted usher. Two guys are strangers. They do not know where to sit. They're strangers. First guy is dripping with wealth. He and his wife are the best dressed couple and everybody knows that they're not really fitting in. You see, in the New Testament church, all the New Testament Christians were pretty poor. Most of them were slaves. So this guy doesn't fit. But the usher says, remember the building program. He has gold rings. Literally, the Greek says his go- he was gold-fingered. He is looking wealthy. Notice James does not, however, criticize the man for being wealthy. He criticizes the members for being partial to him. But then he comes a poor boy. He's destitute. He's shabby. His holes in his Levi's and no shoes. He has no deodorant. No, his hair is unkempt. The ushers have to make a decision. Where is he going to sit? Then? What would you do? He takes the rich guy down front. Here we have a nice place for you. He says to the poor boy, you stand over there in the corner. Or in the Greek it says, you can literally sit under my footstool. That's the ultimate put down. Number two, in your notes, the second P for serving people, the problem. James says that there are two reasons favoritism is a problem. Number one, favoritism in your notes is unchristian. Yeah, favoritism is actually unchristian. If you want to be like Jesus... You cannot play favorites. Don't show favoritism. Faith and favoritism are incompatible. See, the word favoritism is used only four times in the Bible. And each time the favoritism refers to God. And God does not play favorites. Jesus treated everybody with dignity. In fact, Peter had to learn that lesson when he went to visit Cornelius, a Gentile. Because God loves everybody. There's one place where there should be no discrimination... It's in the church. There's discrimination everywhere else in the world. But there should be one place. No matter who you are, what your background, you ought to be welcomed in church. Favoritism is simply unchristian. 
Number two, and you notice the second reason favoritism is a problem, favoritism is unreasonable. Yeah, it's unreasonable because look at back of your notes, James 2, verse 5. He says, not, has not God chosen those who are poor? Those who are poor to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom. Don't show favoritism because God has chosen the poor. Now, James is not saying that it's good to be poor or it's bad to be rich. James is not saying only the poor will be saved. Thank God for that. Most of the people in this church are rich by comparison with the rest of the world. But God does not check your wallet before he saves you. Your salvation is not based on your savings account. Wealth by itself does not deserve special treatment. James is saying your value is not based upon your valuables. Don't confuse your net worth with your self-worth. There's a big difference. Don't try to impress people with what you drive or with what you wear whether you shop at a department store or buy your clothes at Goodwill. Favoritism, simply unchristian. Favoritism, and you know number two, unreasonable. Look at James 2, verse 6. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? So James is saying the rich could care less about you. And in the New Testament, it was always the Roman nobility that was feeding the Christians to the lions. It was the upper crust. Do you know what the upper crust is? It's a bunch of crumbs held together by their own dough. Upper crust. They were persecuting the Christians, judging them, insulting them. And James says, why are you trying to impress them? They're exploiting you. We show favoritism to rich people because we think that somehow they'll do something for us. You don't have to know the key men if you know the man who owns all the keys. And God does. God will open and close doors regardless of your net worth. So favoritism doesn't make sense. How serious is favoritism? Few of us know how to really love unconditionally. So James tells us how serious favoritism is. Look at James 2 verse 9. But if you show favoritism, you sin. You are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you simply have become a lawbreaker. See, how many laws do you have to break to become a lawbreaker? Only one. How many crimes do you have to commit to become a criminal? Only one. How many links do you have to break in the chain to break the chain? Only one. So what's the point? Favoritism is such a small thing. Let's just overlook it. Just don't do the big ones. You break God's law, however, at one point, you are a sinner. Breaking the law shows that you are unloving. So look at James 2, continuing verse 12 in your, page, your notes. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is ending up on a positive note here. Love treats people with mercy when they fall. Love treats people with grace and forgiveness. Love gives people what they need, not what they deserve. Because Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And that's the good news in the face of the problem of favoritism. First of all, being unchristian, 
Secondly, being unreasonable. Because Jesus suffered and died on the cross for you and for me. Jesus prayed for his crucifiers. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. So how are we to treat people right? Number three, you know, the third P for serving people is his prescription. The prescription. James gives us two steps to have a loving and serving church. There was an article in the paper that said, there's a loving connection in church growth. More people are drawn to caring facilities is what the scholars have found. Churches that love, they grow. So a study of 8,000 congregations in 39 different denominations. They measured what they call a love quotient. Growing churches are more loving to each other and towards the visitors. Most churches that have learned to love people are growing. The church body with the highest love quotient, with the highest growth rate of over 15% per year, is the Southern Baptist Convention. And it's the love quotient that reaches people. You love people into God's kingdom. So how do you do that? In your notes, two steps for loving people into God's kingdom. Number one, the first step is accept everybody. Now you accept everybody. Look at Romans 15, verse 7. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. That's the good news. Jesus accepts us just as we are. Jesus loves us so much that he gave his life on the cross for us. And the Bible says, well, we were yet sinners. So in your notes, the good news is God's what? It's God's acceptance. God accepted us so that we can accept others. People were, have problems with accepting others because they think. They don't approve of what they're doing. But in your notes, accepting is not approving. Accepting is not approving. Because Jesus accepts each of us. But he certainly does not approve our sinning or our selfishness. Yet Jesus accepts us. Jesus accepts us without approving our lifestyle. So the church needs to be cultivated an attitude of acceptance. You may be a college graduate or you may be a dropout, but you are welcome. You may have never married or you may have married five times, but you are welcome. You see, the church is not a club, in your notes, not a club for self-righteous saints. The church is a hospital, hospital for sinners, not a club for saints. Some people go to church to close their eyes. Others go to eye their clothes. Church is a hospital for people who do not have it all together, for sinners. The second step in your notes for having a loving church. Number two, affirm everybody. You affirm everybody. Give everybody a lift whenever you can. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Encourage one another. Build each other up. In other words, in your notes, when people are stumbling, you don't criticize you sympathize. You sympathize be an encourager, not a complainer, not a critical person, not a judger. And you can encourage people by smiling. The value of an effective greeters program is that you can encourage people every single weekend. Members need encouraging. Visitors need encouraging. I like another dozen greeters before and after our services, especially as Christmas time. We have hundreds of visitors and preschool program children's programs because we need to encourage one another build one another up give a welcome, a handshake and a smile so James is saying a church that accepts people that affirms people is a loving church St. John Lutheran Church is a loving church a loving church simply because we have people here who are loved in your notes 
we're loved by God. Because we're loved by God, and we are forgiven people, we have the power to love others, to accept everybody, to affirm everybody. Jesus' suffering and death on the cross was for you and for me. In conclusion, Paul describes in Galatians the makeup of a loving church. Please read it with me together out loud. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen.